The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Let's focus on the headlines this hour. You're watching Squawk Box. The Nasdaq breaks through 10,000 for the first time, driven by a rally in FANG stocks. This is profit-taking in value, and other sectors pushes other U.S. indices lower. The Fed's two-day meeting in focus as Morgan Stanley CEO James Gorman says the worst has passed for the U.S. economy, but tells CNBC the government shouldn't get a false sense of confidence from the recent stock market rally. We still need a lot. I think there are a lot of businesses. It's one thing to say, you know, we've had uh, a couple of million people come back on the payroll after being furloughed, but there are many, many millions who are not, and many, many small businesses that are struggling. And Producer prices in China fall at their steepest rate in over four years, raising the prospect of more policy easing from Beijing. HSBC under fire. U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo accuses HSBC of corporate kowtow to Beijing, while an investor Aviva has its concerns too, voicing them around the Hong Kong security law, also along with Standard Chartered. British retailers preparing to reopen their doors next week. Plus, we break numbers from the world's largest fashion group, Inditex, as it leans on its online business to help it through the lockdown. Good morning, everybody. So we've got an interesting story to tell you about in terms of the overnight market session here and a few things going on. Obviously, as we look at the headline indices, the Dow and the S&P, these were both in negative territory to the close of the session here. Now, it's been written up as profit taking in value stocks and small caps and some of those cyclicals. But if the answer to an improving US economy is a calming down of infection rates, then I think the market's got a little bit spooked yesterday because as we look at some of the news flow coming out of states like Texas and Arizona, there are concerns about the prospect of a second wave and that appeared to take the gloss of the re- off of the recent rally that we've seen in some of the cyclicals and the value stocks. What it did do is it pushed money back into those technology companies that are perceived to be the better growth story at this stage. And we saw uh, companies like Amazon and Apple actually put on significant gains yesterday. So let's roll the board and let's have a look at some of those technology companies specifically. And as I say, um, Apple and Amazon both making 3% plus gains in the session. Facebook also managing to put on 3%. And even one of those old tech stories like Microsoft joining in, participating, not so old these days actually, when you uh, look at what they're doing in the cloud. But even Microsoft managed to put on three quarters of 1% right now. Let's have a look at the Treasury market. 
This is important because as we focus down on the Fed's two-day meeting, and this is what a lot of investors will be concerned about over the next 48 hours, the messaging coming out of the Treasury market could be significant. And I know that at the margin, there are those who are looking further out on the curve who are saying the gains are starting to evaporate and this could be something that the Federal Reserve focuses on if we continue to get yields edging up further out on the curve maybe they'll be concerned that that has implications for the cost of borrowing long-term money let's have a look at the uh, dollar I just wanted to throw this chart up as well. You know, coming back to the epidemiology, we have always said on this uh, channel, I think, at least uh, Karen, Steve, myself on Squawk Box, that we are no experts on the pharmacology. But when you begin to see scientists arguing among themselves or even with themselves in, t- in, a, in the space of 24 hours, then it's a head scratcher for all of us. And, and I'm not sure what the final conclusion was from the WHO in terms of asymptomatic transmission. And I think the currency markets are also struggling with that as well. So we, we did get that selling of the dollar, that bounce back in the dollar. And here we sit this morning with the uh, pound and the euro both fighting back, even uh, the yen making some gains here against the greenback. So boiling it all down, how has the Asian session dealt with some of these uh, uh, competing bits of information? Well, we've, we've seen a little bit of a rebound for the Nikkei 225, the Japanese market, but by and large, it looks like a score draw to me. There's a little bit of up, there's a little bit of down. Markets confused about the science, markets confused about the wave are we getting a second wave in the united states what does the data tell us out of arizona texas and some of these other states that are starting to lift restrictions why is the data not improving faster in china if in fact we are out of the woods in terms of coronavirus and its impact on the economy over there and as you can see the shanghai composite is down this hour so what does that tell us about the start for the trading session today well if effectively flat to negative across the European early market calls here. And the U.S. futures, just to round out the story for you, the U.S. futures are suggesting that the Dow and the S&P might get a little bit of a relief rebound today, but it's very early doors for all of these numbers. So the Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell is set to speak today after the central bank wraps up its two-day policy meeting. The Fed not expected to take major action, uh, maintaining interest rates to near zero and continuing with its QE program. Investors are focused on forward guidance from policymakers uh, as they're also expected to release economic forecasts for the first time in six months. Well, Morgan Stanley's CEO, James Gorman, has told CNBC he believes the economy will continue to need support from the federal government. Speaking at a financial conference, the bank boss said the worst is behind us for the U.S. economy. But he told our U.S. colleagues, lawmakers in Washington should not take a, quote, false sense of confidence from the market rally. 
the uh, bounce back and uh, the magnitude of it has been a surprise to me. Um, you know, we're, we've still got a troubled economy. We're uh, finding our path back from COVID with the opening up of the economy. And I think some people are interpreting opening up to the economy being great. But that's, that's clearly not going to be the case for some time. And there are certain segments and certain industries that will struggle for some time. So, yeah, I'm surprised by uh, the equity markets, frankly. Um, but they are very tech-centered, uh, which is what's been driving a lot of uh, a lot of the activity. Meanwhile, former Fed Governor Sarah Raskin says she believes the Fed may take further action in the case of another downturn. If the economy worsens or stays uh, in this position longer than the Fed is thinking it should, I wouldn't be surprised if the Fed tries something yet again new. The economy is not an on-off switch. It's not as if, you know, one day you can send everybody home and have them stay home and the next day have them come back and resume without missing a beat. Uh, There are going to be long-term consequences to what we are going through now. Sarah Raskin there. So our investing audience has a lot to digest this morning, and I'll throw one other piece of information into the mix here. It was a ho-hum 10-year auction yesterday that I think also may play on the Fed's mind as they watch the credit market and the cost of money rather than the equity market. It wasn't a great bid to cover. That meant that the dealers had to pick up a lot of that stock themselves. So Karen, let's maybe kick off with you here. Your thoughts. What do you think we need to hear from the Fed today to steady the nerve? around the bond market. Clearly, the escalation we've seen in the yield on the 10-year is something the market wants to hear about, to what the, the Fed thinks of that in any tightening conditions and what point it may be concerned. That said, there's been so much of a risk rally. You've got to wonder at what point the Fed also gets concerned about too much in the way of speculative, uh, speculative bets being placed on the market. In particular, I mean, you've got the Fed on one hand saying oh, they're willing to buy junk bonds, they're willing to go that far into the corporate debt market to try and provide support. But the messaging is that if the central bank is willing to buy junk, then maybe retail investors should too. And we've seen that in some of the data, that increasingly you've got these very risky bets being taken out by the average person uh, in terms of Robin Hood. This is a US-based stock trading uh, app. You've seen uh, people putting bets on the likes of Hertz. This is a company that's filed for Chapter 11. So you've got bets in the past three days uh, on that particular stock more than any other U.S. company. So the bets have doubled in just one week. It's uh, on a much larger scale, too. As you've seen U.S. uh, retail investors piling into JCPenney as well. Other companies that could eventually go bankrupt, potentially, and that uh, stock would be worth zero. So I think the messaging from the Fed about this one-way bet that's taking place on the markets now is going to be very, very key. And one-way bets, as we know, are just not healthy on stock markets. And even more broadly, we've seen that escalation in the Nasdaq and taking us back to the peaks. We've seen closing the gap between the losses we suffered in March, taking us right back towards some of the highs we had pre-COVID-19. I think the Fed has to give a message when it comes to those bets on the market. Also, the other point is just how long will the Fed be accommodated for? There are some expectations it may spell out in its projections right out until 2023 that rates will remain close to zero. What sort of messaging will that send to the markets given how many speculative bets are being placed? 
Um, yeah, let me just jump in there. I think you make very good points about the likes of Hertz and JC Penney. Uh, Jim Cramer wrote a very good piece on our website about this as well, talking about the likes of uh, Chesapeake as well. And so, as you say, Karen, the Fed will be very concerned that this vast amount of largesse it's giving to the market isn't making its way to Main Street. And of course, with the George Floyd protests uh, shaking America, whole issues about equality and especially inequality, not just uh, in mon- amongst uh, uh, black Americans, but across the whole spectrum will be back to the fore again. Just who is the Fed supporting here? Is it supporting big business? Well, if so, where is the trickle down uh, for the parts of society that have suffered not inequality this year, but for a very long period as well? The second point I want to make is about forecasting. Well, good luck, Fed, because apparently the Fed is going to give us some forecasts, um, possibly going out to as far as December this year. Yes, that far, maybe six, seven months ahead, because quite frankly, the abysmal performance of Wall Street to gauge uh, the uh, employment report last week just shows you how difficult forecasting is at the moment. So my first point, yes, you're right, Karen, concerned about those bubbles and where the money is actually going. The second point, forecasting. Uh, and as my third point is for you, my dear friend, Jeffrey. You said a ho-hum in the bond markets. I say bar humbug in the bond markets. It is the most underpinned, supported market on the planet because not only of the largesse uh, of the Federal Reserve, but also, of course, the fact that people are terrified about getting their money back, my friend. Yeah, which is why it was so interesting, I think, that when we looked at the yield, what was the yield ultimately? Uh, 0.832% and the bid to cover was 226 which was somewhat lower than the uh, coverage ratio we've seen in recent 10-year auctions. And I'm not saying that we've got a buyer's strike by any means, because that's clearly not what's going on here. And there is a buyer of last resort out there, as we know. But perhaps it's just a reminder that this doesn't go on forever, this uh, bonanza. At some point, uh, governments will find it increasingly uh, difficult to encourage uh, their central banks to purchase their paper. But anyway, we'll come back to the story. We've got a lot to talk about over the next three hours. Uh, We'll leave you for the moment and let's move on. For more details and analysis on what to look out for ahead of the Fed's announcement today, go to cnbc.com and tune in later as our US colleagues chat with White House National Economic Council Director Larry Kudlow for his take on the economy. That's 1915 CET. Uh, Let's come back to that World Health Organization story. The organization backtracking on its own view that asymptomatic transmission of coronavirus is, quote, very rare. 24 hours after making the statement, the group's top scientist, Dr. Maria van Kerkhove, uh, clarified she was referring to published studies about the cases instead of a complete picture. She said it's still unknown whether people with no symptoms could drive the spread of the virus. There are some estimates um, that suggest that um, anywhere between 6% of the population and 41% of the population may be infected but not have uh, symptoms, with a a point estimate of around 16%. I don't want to get too technical, um, but that we do know that some people who are asymptomatic or some people who don't have symptoms can transmit the virus on. So look at that range, 6% to 40%. How valuable is that information on a statistical basis? I'll leave you to ponder that. Producer price problems, find out why deflationary pressures have increased in China. What about that rebound? We're going to talk some more 
about that when we come back. And as big tech stocks uh, driving the Nasdaq rally, more details on the Squawk Box podcast. We'll be back. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out the Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, the Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse. Vodafone has warned British plans to be a leader in 5G technology would take a massive hit if lawmakers remove Huawei from the country's telecom infrastructure. Uh, The business said time and money would be lost if the equipment from the Chinese tech giant had to be replaced. This comes as Prime Minister Boris Johnson faces mounting pressure to reverse a decision to allow the limited use of Huawei products in UK networks. US Secretary of State Mike Pompeo has struck out at HSBC for backing China in imposing a new security law on Hong Kong. Pompeo said, quote, such corporate kowtows will get little in return from Beijing. HSBC is not the only British bank to express support for the controversial legislation, which was rubber-stamped by China's National People's Congress last month. Rival lender Standard Chartered also released a statement last week saying the law will help to, quote, maintain long-term economic and social stability. Aviva Investors has criticised both banks for publicly supporting China's clampdown on the former British colony. The UK insurer's investment arm is a top 20 shareholder in both banks and owns nearly £800 million worth of shares. The financial group said it felt, quote, uneasy at the decision to back Hong Kong's new security law without knowing how it will operate in practice. Well, 50 arrests overnight in Hong Kong and more unrest. Let's get out to Sherry, who has more on the story and how the market is reacting there. Good morning, Sherry. Good morning, Jeff. So as you really laid out, Aviva Investors, the asset management company of Aviva Group and its CIO, David Cumming, released a separate statement talking about how the company feels, quote unquote, uneasy about the public backing expressed by HSBC, as well as a standard chartered earlier this year. I think it's interesting how he really went into the details of what exactly why this is a problem for Aviva investors, because he said that this kind of public support comes without knowing the details of the national security law that China wants to impose on Hong Kong or exactly how it's going to be operated or how it's going to be applied 
in practice. Remember, this controversial national security law is still being drafted by the Standing Committee of the National People's Congress in China in consultation with the Hong Kong judiciary. But then these are two British banks listed here in Hong Kong as well with so much Hong Kong as well as Asia. China exposure in their revenue driver uh, came out with their support earlier this month. So I think that's really the problem here. And taking a look at one part of this statement released by the CIO, David Cumming, he said, quote, consequently, we expect both companies to confirm that they will also speak out publicly if there are any future abuses of a democratic freedoms connected to this law. So certainly making that kind of demand quite public here. And of course, HSBC and Standard Charter stands is that the national security law will help uh, secure or maintain Hong Kong's economic prosperity and social stability. This comes, of course, after one year of social unrest and anti-government protest here in Hong Kong. In fact, that uh, well, social unrest marked one year since that one million march, uh, one million strong march uh, back in 2019 on June 9th. But of course, marking that first anniversary, we did see hundreds of Hong Kong protesters out again on the streets protesting this time around the controversial national security law that China wants to impose on Hong Kong. And uh, you are looking at some pictures here and police did arrest over 50 people yesterday alone using pepper sprays to disperse the crowds here. So social stability is not exactly what Hong Kong is seeing at this point. And of course, uh, you know, some of the, you know, pressure was there in terms of the stock performance today here in the Hong Kong listing after that negativity that we saw in European session, as well as the ADR for HSBC after this kind of uh, commentary coming from Aviva investors overnight. Jeff? Sherry, thank you. Uh, Moving on, let's stay in the region. China's producer prices fell at the fastest rate in four years as factories in the world's second largest economy were forced to lower prices amid the impact of the pandemic. PPI declined 3.7% in May, which was worse than economists had expected. Uh, Sam joins us. Um, Sam, obviously we've got PPI here and we've got CPI. We are trying to understand just how quickly consumption is picking up post the lockdown in China. How helpful are these numbers in explaining that to us? Good morning to you, Jeff. Yeah, well, it is difficult because, of course, uh, both the consumer and PPI inflation fell short of expectations for the month of May. As you mentioned, uh, China's PPI falling 3.7% year on year, the sharpest rate in more than four years. An analyst polled by Reuters had expected that to fall by 3.3% after April dropped 3.1%. And that really does underscore that these factory gate prices and manufacturing in China really is still under a lot of pressure because of the coronavirus, which has taken a hefty toll on the world's second biggest economy. Many companies have been forced to lower their prices. They've also been forced to swing the axe when it comes to jobs as overseas orders remain weak. Um, And officials are concerned about when global demand for China's goods may come back. They're also worried about the risk of reinfection in the second half of the year. And that has certainly been underscored by not setting a GDP growth 
growth target for 2020. Now, when it came to the consumer price index, that was up 2.4% year on year for the month of May. It was expected to come in at 2.7%, but this was largely driven by food and most notably pork prices falling quicker in May. And according to data from the Chinese Bureau of Statistics, pork fell 8% month on month. Um, and of course, that came after the African swine fever, that deadly pig disease uh, drove the price of pork up, uh, sent it soaring towards the end of last year. But economists have said um, that an expanding pig supply in China is now driving those prices down somewhat. Now, falling consumer inflation may actually give Beijing a little bit of wiggle room here in order to roll out some stimulus measures in the second half of the year to help prop up the economy. Um, but analysts have told me just a few hours ago that this may just be marginal. And that is because uh, they say China's core inflation is key. Um, now, this was unchanged at just 1.1% year on year in May. Now, of course, we know that this doesn't in include things like food and energy. And that does reflect that domestic demand in the world's second biggest economy still remains sluggish. And analysts have been telling me that they do expect the PBOC, China's central bank, uh, to cut the one-year medium-term lending rate this month um, to try to offset some of the impacts of the coronavirus that we are seeing on the economy, which, as we are seeing uh, very clearly, is not just external demand, uh, but, but domestic demand. And we have seen the PBOC this year uh, already cut uh, the triple R, uh, make a few triple R cuts, uh, and we do expect them to roll out more stimulus uh, in the coming months. But we know that they have, have actually been um, quite reluctant to do this because they obviously don't want to open the floodgates because of those piles of debts that have piled up in the, in the past because of aggressive stimulus measures.